Reimagining Black Relations, a podcast on solutions to issues relating to the Black race. Welcome to another episode of Reimagining Black Relations. I'm your host, Dr. Francesca Fajimi. If you've ever had any dealings with Blacks, you have a Black matter, so this is for you. Together, let's begin to shape and reimagine our Black relations. Whether you are Black, white, or brown, trust me, you will learn, gain, and execute just by listening. Come along. Our guest today is Derek Perkinson. He's the New York State Field Director and Crisis Director for the National Action Network, NAN. Derek oversees NAN's advocacy and organizing efforts throughout the state of New York, the 13 New York City chapters, and he coordinates national crisis concerns. His expertise are in political campaign coordination, large-scale field projects, criminal justice reform, voting rights, immigrants' rights, economic justice, climate policy, census complete counts advocacy, and civic and community organizing. He's moderated and served as a panelist on numerous occasions to speak up against discriminatory practices. He's seen the very best of things and things that will break your heart. Through it all, he's maintained a deep commitment and affection to serving people and his community. Mr. Perkinson is a political strategist with a strong knowledge base and his expertise in business and political strategy makes him a community resource. He served on New York City Community Board 10, which represents Harlem, is the vice chair for the personnel committee and sits on the parks and recreation and public safety committees. In addition, he holds membership with the 100 Black Men of New York Inc. He's a former advisory board member of STOP, Surveillance Technology Oversight Project, which calls for transparency from law enforcement when storing and amassing facial recognition data and the usage of this data. He's received numerous awards, citations, and certificates. His favorite quote is, the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice. And we know that from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Amen. Welcome to Reimagining Black Relations. Thank you, doctor. Thank you for having me. Your Black Matters. Thank you so much. Um, we honored to be here at the National Action Network. I'm Derek Perkinson, New York State Field Director and also uh, the National Crisis Director here. Um, and if you have a crisis, please call us at 877-626-4651, 877-626-4751. And also that's for membership also. Wonderful. Thank you so much for the work you're doing. I know it is massive, but I'm absolutely certain you guys are up to the task. So, Derek, let's just start right away. Can you tell us a little about yourself, where you were born and where you grew up? Excellent. Yes, I was born here in the village of Harlem. You know, it takes a village. Um, I was born in the village of Harlem years ago um, uh, to to uh, actually my parents were together when I was born. Uh, and then we moved to the Bronx when we were about five years old. And um, um, and that's where I grew up at. And my father stayed in Harlem. That's when they separated. And I used to go back and forth between the Bronx and Harlem. Um, went to school in Harlem, went to school in the Bronx, graduated uh, college out of uh, Farmingdale, Long Island. And now I'm here at the National Action Network. 
I've always wondered, and many of the Black men that I interview, they've told me, I would say 99% of them have told me that they've always had the talk with their parents when they were young. Did you ever have that talk with your parents? Yeah, we had the talk. We had the talk. Um, and, you know, she definitely protected me to, to be aware of certain things that she may have been through or she had a lot of sisters and brothers uh, where they, they would uh, went through. And uh, she would definitely prepare me for that that uh, this journey. Little did I know, you know, you plant seeds in your life and it, it come to fruition years later. Amazing. So what exactly did she say? How was it presented to you? And did it even make sense when it was being presented? Yeah, what she did was honestly, um, she took some salt and pepper because I'm light-skinned, you know, I'm light-skinned and she took salt and pepper and she's, you know, she explained that, um, you know, you know, people could be the same uh, on, the, on the inside. But on the outside, you know, certain people judge you um, based on your color. So, um, you know, so she put the little salt and pepper, you know, first, you know, she's you let me know, like, this is mommy, this is daddy. And basically, you know, she put it together. So but she said, you know, we, we all got to come together regardless of others feelings. Um, you know, we have to come together. We got to be together. We got to keep, you know, keep moving, keep our people moving and and keep, you know, you got to stay positive and do the right things always. So. Um, it was always, you know, instilled to me, to, you know, respect, but, you know, get respect as well. You know, nobody has ever used that analogy to describe the talk, but I can see it because, I mean, they both look the same. The container, oftentimes they look the same, right? But you have yep. white in one and you have black in the other one. So she described me as the, the light skinned black guy. This and, and this is your daddy, a little darker, but we're still black. And, you know, she poured it together and, you, you know, you still want color. So. Um, I got it early, you know, not, you know, that we all want. So I didn't never look at it as separate, but she said it'll be others that won't see it that way. So that's, she got me to understand what it needs to be. And then, she, you know, show me that, you know, other people won't feel the same way. So you just got to be on guard for that as well. Mm-hmm. Shout out to my mother, Irene Smith. I love her daily. We love She's you, out in Georgia. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, that's great. Good job. Good job. So uh, Derek, do you ever have a role model? Absolutely. Actually, Reverend Jesse Jackson, I uh, was one of my role models growing up. Um, you know, he poured me to tears in, in, in 84 when he keep hope alive and um, he was running for president. And again, in four years later. So, of course, um, you know, growing up, we didn't have many to look up to except for the guys in the neighborhood and, and things that we saw on, on TV, the little bit of TV that was on, you know, good times. And I'm dating myself now. Right. What's happening now and all these TV shows, uh, the Jeffersons and um, San Francisco and then. Archie Bunker, you know, you had shows that were ready, ready in your face with the uh, racism and the systemic um, bigotry that was out there. So, um, you know, the era we grew up in was very unique. And, um, you know, compared to this era now where information is just blurring in, you had to really get, you know, some of the inf- most of the information we were getting was really a little more solid because it was just coming down the lines. It maybe did get a little bit distorted because of the facts, but a lot of the uh, things that was going on, we could understand. But, um, we knew what to believe in. And nowadays people just believe in a whole bunch of other stuff or whoever looks the best on social media um, and, and stuff like that. So, um, you know, we got to get back to principles. You know, we got to get back to some principles, um, you know, 
That's why I love the era that we grew up in. The era we grew up in was the best. I completely agree with you. I always say, oh my gosh, back in the days, back in the days. And I remember when I was growing up, my parents also would say back in the days. We all have responsibilities to our generations and even the ones to come. So I completely agree with you. So yeah, Derek, yeah. I need to ask you about your career path. Why did you choose it? Why did you choose this career path yeah. you're in? Yeah, that's funny too, right? Because um, nobody's going to grow up unless you're Reverend Dr. Al Sharpton, you don't grow up thinking you're gonna be in the civil rights, social justice world. Uh, Reverend Sharpton has been in this world four years old. He was a boy preacher. I see he was on your show about a year ago or so. And um, he was a four-year-old boy preacher. So you know his trajectory, his story. Uh, he's traveling the world, uh, the country, a seven-year-old preacher with the biggest gospel singer of all time. Um, and they're all in, you know, empowering him. They're all pouring into him. Uh, years later, he meets Jesse Jackson. Uh, he meets, um, you know, he gets to be the role manager for uh, the great uh, James Brown, um, who, you know, who was the biggest artist of his time. And then he got to be friendly with some of the biggest people in the world, like Michael Jackson, Don King, so on and so forth. So, um, but, but my trajectory was a little different. You know, you go to college, you try to, you try to, you know, my era was Pete Diddy and Jay Z and having uh, being an entrepreneur and having your own business. So everybody. Like you said, our circle, our generation gravitated towards self-empowerment, which I'm still on for, for the masses, not just for my, my, my individual self now. Um, so, you know, you get into the different things. I've been in sales and marketing or advertising for over 25 years, close to 30 years uh, in that field. And I just had a part-time opportunity in, in uh, helping someone, uh, you know, and it turned into where I'm at today. Um, it was a political campaign. I went out for the first two days and uh, it went well. They asked me to, you know, if I could recruit people and I did that and went well and I started managing people and then people recognized me and uh, brought me in uh, to the organization. So it really was from volunteering, making yourself available and uh, trying to serve others. How much of that are we seeing these days? I mean, are people still willing to volunteer? And Surprisingly, surprisingly, there's a lot of people um, giving service, especially here at the National Action Network. We have a, a crisis department, and within the crisis department is, is mostly volunteers, if not all volunteers, uh, that, that reaches back out to people to help uh, navigate their certain crisis or, or legal issue or whatever may uh, be in front of them. So, um, and now... You know, thank God, you know, it's a lot of uh, government funding, city funding, uh, state funding coming down to help uh, community groups, people that's giving up their, excuse me, giving up their time and of their energy. Because a lot of this stuff, you know, you do, you do for, some people do it for free for no money, some do it for money, but that's not, you know, it's not cost of living money. And, you know, then you have others that truly do it, um, you know, from the heart, they don't need anything. And, you know, they can maintain. So it's all about um, where you are in this life. But I always feel like everyone is going to come to this side sooner or later. You hear me, doctor? Because God forbid something's happened to someone in your family, somebody happened to somebody you know, that's when that's that's when you're going to want to do something. God forbid it happened to you personally, that's when you're going to want to do something. God forbid it happened to one of your children, that's when you want to go to do something and have your voice heard. And you're going to and hopefully, you know, where to come the National Action Network. We've been doing it 31 years and, and we stay with the families that we deal with. And hopefully, you know, people will be members, um, work out of the chapters, work out of the committees. That's how the organization is run and is run so well. I'm uh, led by our leader, Reverend Dr. Al Sharpton and Attorney Michael Hart. Thank you, Derek. I joined the National Action Network chapter in Los Angeles maybe a few months ago. So 
In a, good, I, good, I, good. I remember, okay. Who's the chapter president over there? I forgot. Is I forgot her name. Is it a girl or a guy? It's a girl. Okay, Lori. It got to be Lori. That's the one. It's Lori. Yes. Lori. 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 Yes. Yeah. That's my girl. Yes. It's she just Lori. came up for the convention. She flew all the way from Cali. We had a good time. It was very impactful convention. Very powerful. Very Indeed. good. Hopefully, we'll catch you next year. Maybe get some press conditions. Absolutely. I was actually going to come with them, but I was out of the country. I was in South Africa during the time. But anyway, I just want to let so, you know that I'm on board, totally support this. And I'm just excited to see what you're doing and how we can continue to uh, make an impact and not having to wait till something happens before we come together to, to do this. Um, what was your first exposure to the issue of racism? <laughs> Again, my mom, she used to send me to a lot of uh, sleepaway camps. And that's where the conversation came in uh, before she sent me to sleepaway camp. Um, you know, I was going to go, you know, be with other individuals that was not uh, from the community I was from. And they didn't look like um, the people that was in my community where I'm from. They didn't look like me. So she had that conversation. So I would have to say when I went to Fresh Air Fund, I went to Fresh Air Fund. Um, it, it was like um, it was like two years before I started going to camps. Um, so this year, my mom wanted to do something different. It was that new program, I guess, Fresh Air Fund, where uh, you take a, a family from out of New York State. Um, it's normally a white family um, and they have children, you know, possibly your age. And they reach out to the community and try to get people from uh, underserved communities to keep them for a week or two in the summer uh, to expose them to different things in their state and, and, and their environment and their lifestyle. Um, um as my luck would have it, when I went to um, to this family's home, I really forget the name of this family. I wouldn't say it if I knew it, but um, I went to this family's home. Um, mother and father, it was, they had a son my age, but he had one away. And then they had another um, child that I don't remember was a boy or girl, but she was too young to play with me. Like she was like one years old to have, you know, running around. It wasn't like I couldn't play. So they basically was, you know, kept me in the room you know, my whole, my whole week there, um, you know, and, um, just had me read books, you know, that was like my, 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 my race. So, you know, my mom was pretty upset about it. I didn't, you know, I couldn't even tell her she would call. I didn't, I wouldn't tell her, you know, once a night you could get to call your mom or they'll call you to check on you. I didn't even tell her. I just kind of took it uh, for what it was worth, you know? So I would say that was about not, that was about, no, I, I was definitely about 11, 12 years old when I experienced it firsthand. Right. So, Derek, you know what's really interesting is that many people, when they experience things like this, and as you move forward, you tend to think this is the norm, that this is what everybody goes through. And it's not something that it's unique to you as a person or even a race. You just think it's normal to the extent of even in businesses, even in it doesn't matter where you go. You just assume whoever you go through is normal. What's your thoughts about that? I mean, I would think about this a lot. It's like, um, you know, everyone who grows up have different experiences on how they was raised. So if your parents encourage a certain behavior or um, things that you're doing that's negative, negative things, um, that's what becomes the norm to you. Um, but I always feel when people get to a certain age, regardless of what you were taught, uh, you know what's right and you know what's wrong. So you could say, you know what? I know that's wrong. I, I've been doing it all my life. I need to do something, make an adjustment. That's that's what we have to come face to face with, um, making changes within ourselves. So um, 
it depends on how you were growing up, who's your influences uh, as well. And there's no science to it because I've, I've had family members, uh, friends, uh, mother and father, strong household, had everything they wanted and, and still went off the wrong way. You know, you know, so it's no science to it. Um, it it's, it's basically what influences your child, what catches them, um, you know, their attention, their energy. But I'm of the belief if you give children uh, a goal, they could change their mind, but give them a goal early in life. Um, you know, things end up better because, you know, um, you have something to strive for. You got something to strive for. So it all how you depend, you know, the teachers that you interact with. You know, I had some fabulous, fantastic teachers. Um, I had a, VM, a, retire, a Vietnam veteran, um, uh, Professor Davis. He used to be a city college here in New York City, well-known professor. Um, I had I had a, a um I had, a, I had a good teachers, I had good mentors growing up. So um I was fortunate, you know, and I had a lot of women that was in my family as far as my, all of my aunts. I had a lot of aunts um and that that helped raise me as well. And that and that, yeah, that's their children, you know, they had a lot of children. So of course I get to play those are my playmates and we do everything. Wonderful. So a lot of responsibility with that mantra that it takes a village to raise a child. We need to continue to push that forward. Now, and you, it depends what they teach you. Remember, your village depends on what they teach you. Absolutely, absolutely. So there, there's a lot of responsibility that is placed on the adults in the community, right? Yes, yes. A lot of it, it falls on us to teach the next generation, um, and you know we have to. You know, in a lot of um, these adults, they're, you know, they're having children at a young age and they're not allowing to grow. If, if you're having children, but I mean, this is my belief is not scientific belief, but if you're having children between 10 and 16, that's not a good, you know, life, life, you know, to start off with because it's, it's a lot of life left. Um, but it's a blessing that baby says for God reason, don't, you know, don't get me wrong, but um, we have to allow our children to grow into being more thoughtful, responsible adults um, before they get in, you know, to having children, a big responsibility for 15, 18 years, you know, you're going to really be with your child and involved in, 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 in building and in, in pouring into and nurturing. Um, so, you know, I, I, I try to motivate uh, kids to, you know, travel a little bit, see the world. Like you just came back from uh, France, South America, all over the world, you travel um, and this will open their eyes to things that's out here. Uh, and meet different people. Um, and it won't be a lot of this uh, things that we're having going on in our community that's negative and taking lives, especially of innocent people, you know? So yeah, it falls on the adults, um, you know, especially like with the gang members out here. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, if we had older people that were sort of in the gangs and stuff, they would not let the younger gang members do reckless things in the community or around children or older women and stuff like that. There were certain rules and morals and, and that's the, I've never been in the gang, so to speak, but um, I've, I've always observed and have friends that did it. So today it doesn't seem like there's those checks and balances. Um, and, and these children are getting these weapons way too young, uh, way too young, 13, 14, 15 years old, is way too young uh, to have a weapon and use it and take someone's life and, or you lose your life. And then you got two families and, and more, you know, hurt in the struggle. So, yeah, it falls a lot on the adults. Um, and then again, a lot of them don't want to get involved until it happens to them um, or somebody they know or somebody they love. Um, or they see something on TV, you know, George Floyd woke a lot of people up. It woke the country up, woke the world up. 
and and no one no one with a moral compass could sit there and say that was justified. And that's what that was about. You no one could justify nine minutes and, and 49 seconds of that. You know, so it falls on all of us collectively uh, to fight back against uh, you know systemic racism. If there's one thing you want to propose to mitigate the issue of discrimination against blacks, what would that be? You know, a lot of people don't like to say this. I mean, we bring about, you know, 50 percent of it on ourselves with, with the way we act and our behavior and the different things, um, you know, that we're allowed to do. I have, a, you know, not far from my office is a, is a tenement building, a residential building um, where at, at eight 7, 38, 9 in the morning, these young men are just standing out there playing dice. You know, um, where where is the parents? Like, you know, if I walk up to these, you know, group of 20 men playing dice, you know, it's going to be, oh, get out of here. It might be violent. It might, you know, be something. But where is these men, parents, their mothers, their fathers to say, listen, son, you can't be here. Let's let's look for a job. If you don't want to go to school, let's find another option. For That's another thing. If they don't want to go to school, we got to, even though education is very important. You know, but we got to find something else for them. A lot of people uh, my age, uh, they've gone back to school later in life because of things they couldn't do or they didn't see. You know, certain things you don't see. And that's my point about having children and stuff. You don't see a lot of things at 14, 15, 16. You don't know. You got a lot more to see before you can start doing things. So, um, you know, so, you know, we need to be more responsible ourselves, too, Doc. We need to have um, more of a systemic um you know, unity, like we all can get behind, like we all can get behind waking up in the morning and brushing our teeth. We all, nobody in our community should be against that, you know, Um, wake up in the morning and and put water on our face, Um, you know, um, going to get our eyes checked, going to get our teeth checked, different things like that health-wise that we all could be on board with and it will start the process, Um, you know, to having a a unified community because we need to unify the community. So yeah, 50% is on us. A lot of it is on the systemic racism and the trauma of our community. We're used to these gun violence. We're used to violence. You know, we see the thing that happened with Will Smith and Chris Rock. The whole world saw that, right? And that was an assault. That man could have went to jail for an assault. We see people get assaulted every day in our community, and it's just a fight. It's just nothing. You know, we don't even think, you know, you know, the violence is this. So we got to recondition ourselves um, and, and take more responsibility of ourselves. But we got to get to our youth. And we got to get to our men who's who's carrying on in this fashion and try to get them something to do, you know, get them earning money where they're not on corners. They're not, you know, just, you know, living off of women or whatever the case. That was a power packed statement you just made. We need to recondition ourselves. I'm going to need to invite you back, Derek, because I want you to unpack that. We're going to need to go back. But before we round up, I want to just ask you, if there's any final words that you would like to share, or maybe a question I've not asked you, but you really want to drop it with the listeners today, what would that be? Okay, good. I'm glad you asked me that. I want to say this. Solutions for some of our problems, doctor, will always start with the person in the mirror. Look in the mirror. Let's look in the mirror. And that's the person we start with. We start with that person to find some solutions to different issues. Um, we all could help in some way. Um, in our community today, and I grew up on hip hop, don't get me wrong, but in our community today, we have we have negative music. Um, 
And there's no balance to that. So we're growing, we're raising our children, three, four, five years old, listening to all this type of music, hip hop that's negative. It's talking about women as, as bees and hoes and the N-word, you know, calling ourselves de- degrading ourselves. And but we're not when I was growing up, I, yeah, we had that just coming out. And then I was going to church. So I had positivity being poured back into me, you know, you know, things to think on and be spiritual. We have to have that balance. We gotta have that balance. So I want to get people back in the churches. Um, whatever religion they feel comfortable with, we all need that. The children need that foundation, that 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 thing. And we have to make, you know, the the glorification of killing each other in our music. We got to make that not cool. We got to make that like not sell because, um, you know, we can't keep glowing off. We're the only community on the planet that does that. We only the ones that glorify killing each other and people are profiting off of it and our communities are suffering off of it. So let's, let's, let's not glorify being junkies, glorifying being drug addicts, but going by glorifying being murderers and killers and, and things of this nature. So that, that's what I would say. Um, it starts with the man in the middle. It takes a village, but let's start pouring um, positivity into our children, into our communities, because this is another way. Let's show them something early, seven, nine, 10 years old. Let's show them something before they get 11, 12 with the gun. Let's show them something um, because that's what they're screaming for. So that's what I would say. Thank you for, for that, doctor. Derek, I, I must, uh, I have to thank you for sharing this your journey with us. And I truly appreciate you being my guest today. To all our listeners, please don't forget to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues and encourage them to subscribe on yourblackmatters.com. Also, if you have any feedback for me, please email me at francesca at yourblackmatters.com. Derek, thank you again for your contribution to the history we're making together. I'm so excited to be a part of it. God bless you and your family. Yes, no, thank you. You're part of the family now. You you know, you've been part of the family. So I'm just, I'm glad we're getting together now and, and doing things. And hopefully we could do some things that's more impactful maybe have a, a conversation around a particular topic issue, whatever you would like to talk about. I'm sure I could get some people of note uh, to, to speak on it, on it. And, and we try to get a call of action to get our community in motion to get it done. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm so excited, Derek. Thank you so much. Look, all our listeners, Thank you. this is fantastic. May God bless you as well. And may the Lord bless the United States of America. See you next Thank time. Thank you, Doc. You too. God bless.